Good morning. It is good to be with you. Uh, I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors here, and we're in that series that you just saw a bumper about called Encounter. We're looking at a variety of different people who encountered God, who encountered Jesus, and we're looking at what their response was to him. We know here at Chapel Point, every time God speaks, it demands what? A response. You can ignore God. That can be a response. You can do something with it. You can tell other people about him. But every single time God speaks into your life, there is a response. Ignoring God is a response. Not wanting to surrender to God is a response. Speaking to others about who he is is a response. And so we get to look at what that encounter looks like for us today by looking at a a story that many, many people um, have preached on before. It's the rich young ruler. And I'd like to invite you to go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. We find it in three of the four Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We find it in three of the four. Um, But today we're going to be primarily looking at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, go ahead and go there. I'm not going to ask for you to go a lot of other places today. Just camp out right there if you would. Matthew chapter 19. And I'd like to go ahead and read, starting with verse 16. Matthew 19, verse 16 and following. So let's go ahead and do that now. And this is the word of God. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus responded, And he said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, sad, for he had great possessions. It's the word of God, and we are thankful to have it. been thinking about how to make sure that you understand this passage, and so I'm going to have, uh, I had Pastor Nathan help me out a little bit last week. This is Pastor Luke. Can you say good morning to Pastor Luke? Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, Pastor Luke is actually, if you don't know if you're new here, he is our family ministry pastor. So he oversees everything roughly up to about age 18. Um, he doesn't do quite that much with the kids because we've got amazing people like Carolyn Norcus and Nikki Sands That's who right. are helping to champion that. You have Max Spolstra, others. Oh, man. Love How's it. student ministry today? Man, student ministry is awesome, man. We just got done with a couple amazing weekends of middle school and high school retreats where we're just encouraging students to grow. Where are they growing in their faith? How are they taking those next steps? And it's just been exciting to see yeah. God breathe life into that. Yeah, I want to encourage you, if you've got anybody uh, who can come and be a part of that Grow Weekend, yeah, you just don't... make them come. Pay your kid off. I don't care what it is. They might encounter Jesus in a whole new way. That's exactly uh, right. So, uh, hey, he's going to help me out with something. I need to take my glasses off, um, which tells you this is going to be scary. Um, if you could, my friend. Uh, no cell phones? No yes, cell phones. That, well, let's do this. Um, he's going to stand right back. Well, that's fine. That's, that's good. Um, I'm going to do a handstand, and then I'm going to do a double reverse flip off of the stage. Only one of those is true. Um, 
So I just want you to, to look. I'm doing this for you right now. I know that we have cameras, and I'm about to humiliate myself for you. Um, this is my way of saying I love you. Do you love me back? Yes. So let's have class participation. No? Anybody want to help out here? Okay. So I want to tell you about the rich young ruler. Um, and as I do, let me get in position. I've been practicing this. I was doing handstands in my front yard, and Melissa's like, shouldn't you work on the sermon? I'm like, I am. (sighs) All right, good morning, how are you? I hope you're doing great. We're looking at Matthew chapter 19, the rich young ruler. He's called the rich young ruler because in Matthew, he's referred to as rich. Later on in one of the other gospels, in Mark, he's referred to as young. So you get the rich young ruler. All the blood is going to my head quickly. Put me down, please. I just shot you the moon. Wow. The good Kimberly Hartman sings on stage. She is a medical individual. Kimberly, stay close. Like, I feel that. Um, Here's the reason I did that. Because I'm hoping that every single time you see a kid do a handstand for the rest of your life, this is what you're going to think about, or an adult for that matter. Here, I'm going to give you the premise right now of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was looking at Jesus in completely the wrong way. And so today, listen, people look at the rich young ruler and they go, oh, this is all about money, right? Because here's this rich young ruler. Jesus comes over and he says, I want you to sell everything and follow me, right? Give it to the poor. Make sure you follow me in everything you do. And he goes away sad because he had great possession. And yes, there is something about wealth. And we can get into that for just a little bit. But this is less about wealth. And what this passage is really about is surrender. And so here's what's happening. The rich young ruler looks at Jesus and he looks at him and he says, Hey, listen, what must I do, what deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And so he had the wrong, the reason he even starts with that question, that initial question tells you so much about this passage. That initial question lets you know that he saw Jesus in the wrong way. He had a reverse, an upside down thinking of who Jesus is and was and what he could do for him in his own life. And it's true for the non-believer, it's true for the believer. And so we get to explore that today. I'm going to repeat this because I don't think you probably heard anything I said when I was upside down. Rich young ruler, Matthew refers to him as rich. Mark refers to him as young. All of a sudden you got this rich young ruler, and here he is, and he's coming, and he asks this question, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Uh, to maybe give you some context, um, first, uh, first century Judaism um, the majority of them believed in paradise and that automatically they had paradise. They had eternal life. There were a few who believed it was based on righteousness. How righteous could you be? But then you also had the, the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in eternal life. They didn't believe in any type of paradise. And so as a result, that's why they just lived, a, they lived it up. 
right? If you don't believe in God, especially if you haven't explored it, or if you don't believe in Jesus, or if you don't believe in morality based on the word of God, you've got a great life because you really, you have no responsibility whatsoever. Nobody can tell you right, wrong, indifferent. You can do anything that you want. And so the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the afterlife, and so as a result of that, they could do anything. Now, here is the problem with that select group of Judaisms, uh, Ju- Judaism, was that that select group of Judaism, what they would do is they would say, well, it's based on righteousness. And so then they would try to earn it by being good enough, righteous enough. But you can't do that. It's only by faith. And here's this guy who's going, hey, you know what? If I can just make sure I do the right things, and that's why Jesus Christ refers to the commandments, and you know when he starts calling out all these commandments, and I, some people will go, well, it's a matter. You've got to look at which, which commandments is he calling out, which ones is he not. He refers to some in some passages, some to the other. The, that's not the gist of the story. The primary point of the story here is recognizing this guy, hey, man, he wanted to check off his box so that he could have assurance and live his life. That's what he wanted to do. Here's the struggle with that. And he, I, I know I, I like to, even in meetings, if there's an agenda, I will check off every item that we've gone through because it makes me feel better when we get that. Anybody else do that, right? You're a check boxer or a box checker, right? And you, it makes you feel better. If you go grocery shopping or anything else, you mark through everything that you've gotten. I now put it on my phone so I can delete it as I pick up stuff. Because I'm like, okay, only four more items. And I still somehow forget something, but that's another issue. And so I, I, I want to do that. And here's this guy. I think that's who he was, personality-wise even. All of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, listen, if you do these commandments, you're going to be good. And at that mo- moment, he's like, yes. It tells us. The young man is like, I've, do- I've done these things. I've kept these things. Okay, I'm good now. What do I still lack? Is there any? Is there anything else that I need to do so that I can have that assurance that I want and feel good? So this is all unfolding before us. Now, I I do think this guy also, one of the things that he wanted, um, I think he wanted some type of action that could be measured. I think he wanted something here that said, okay, This is the action that I'm going to do, and as a result of that, right, I'm going to be good. So here's this rich young ruler. Here's one of the struggles that he had, Um, because I I think Jesus saw um, a bit of zeal, a bit of fervor in this individual, and I I think he wanted to turn it into discipleship, but as we already know, the young man said, no way. But the young man, here's his struggle. The young man wanted a teacher who provided assurance, not a Lord who desired surrender. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack this for a moment, but I think this is incredibly accurate. He wanted a teacher who provided assurance. Jesus is the good teacher. He is a rabbi. That's how they initially saw him. But he is also more than rabbi, than good teacher. And so does he provide assurance? Yes, he does. But this guy, he, he stopped short. And many times we can stop short when we see who Jesus is, when we're trying to discover who Jesus is. And he's more than the rabbi, the teacher who's providing assurance. He is a Lord who is wanting you to surrender to who he is. And we stop short of surrender. 
We stop short of that. Why? Because we have sometimes the wrong view of Jesus and we're looking at everybody in the wrong way. And as silly as you think it is that a 45-year-old man would do a handstand on a stage to try to make a point and, and to be embarrassed, because I'm literally, last night I woke up going, man, I could fall and hit my face, like it'll be on video, like that's what'll be remembered. I'm thinking all these things, but I'm, then I'm going, hopefully they'll remember it. It's worth humiliation if they will surrender to Jesus. Because so many people today, and as silly as you think that I look doing that, I think it's silly to encounter people who claim to know Jesus Christ, and yet they don't see him properly. I think that's silly. This guy wanted this teacher to be someone who gave him a stamp of approval. And then he stopped there. And so here he is. He says, listen, if you want to be perfect, I want you to go. I want you to sell what you possess. I want you to give it to the poor. Go and do these things. Now, again, this isn't necessarily about money. We know that later on here in these next couple of verses, um, verse uh, 23, 24, he'll speak about that. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the uh, eternal life, right, the kingdom of God. It, 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 it is hard. It's difficult without a doubt. But, but Jesus never says that having wealth is wrong. We, we can jump in and we can speak about Abraham, right? Let's start from the early on and talk about his wealth. You also have people like Nicodemus and Mary and, uh, and Martha and Lazarus. You have Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary Magdalene and others. These people had wealth. They had some significant um, money in their life, and they used it to support Jesus and to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people think about automatically, they go, well, how about Joseph of Arimathea? That's the gentleman who gave um, the tomb for Jesus to be buried in, right? Never been used before. That would have been considerable wealth to have that. And here he is using his wealth in order to give that to Jesus. In fact, the majority of people at that time, they actually saw wealth as a sign of God's blessing. So now when Jesus is saying it's hard for you to know eternal life, if you have wealth, they're going, wait a second, we've always viewed it as this huge blessing from God, and now you're saying it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? What do you do with that? Here's the point of it, and this is what I hope you recognize. This is why this young man struggled so much. It's the one thing I want you to take away today is that security of eternal life, security of eternal life doesn't come from possession, but from a heart surrendered to Christ. It doesn't come from possession, and yet God gives us possession. God gives us wealth, but not for self. He gives it to us to further the kingdom. And to be able to, to push the name of Jesus Christ further. And so if, you're, if you've listened to one of these guys in the past, maybe the pastor says, you can't be rich and know Jesus, that is not biblically accurate at all. God has blessed this church with resources. It is in our responsibility to use those resources in a way that is God-honoring in absolutely everything that we do. It is no different for you individually to recognize that. And so here's this guy who has a lot of possession. Jesus looks at him and says, go do this. But the problem is he wanted to keep his possession and he didn't want to have a heart that was surrendered. 
Security of eternal life doesn't come from possession. It doesn't come, security of eternal life doesn't come from talent. It doesn't come from the gifts that you have. It doesn't come from self-rights. Security of eternal life doesn't come from the family that you grew up in. I want to say, do I need to say that one again? Security of eternal life doesn't come because of the family you grew up in. You can't give your faith to someone else. Every individual has to make a decision for themselves that they will place their trust in the Savior by the name of Jesus Christ. But it comes from a heart that's surrendered to Christ. And that is a result of a giant mountain of grace. Amen. A giant mountain of grace that has been lavished upon the people of God. And I'm convinced one reason there's so much apathy toward Christ from the supposed believer is because the believer thinks that he has done something to earn what he believes to be receiving. Now, this could be a sermon in itself, but let me, I want to say it even a little more clearly. If you think that you have done something to earn salvation, if you think that you've gone to church so many times that you're good to go, if you think that you've given enough wealth and money to make sure that you have assurance of eternal life, what I'm telling you now, that's a hard question. You've got to truly evaluate that and be honest about the answer. But biblically, you're wrong. Because you can't earn it. And isn't that good news? I don't have to wake up every morning and say, I better not mess up today because if I do, man, am I messed over. I get to wake up every day knowing that God's grace has been dumped into my life. And so I get to wake up every day and go, man, I'm so overwhelmed at your love, God. I simply want to surrender to you and be obedient to you. And the joy of the Lord, regardless of circumstance, overwhelms my life. That's why I do handstands. That's why I want to do flips. Not really for me. I just, I can't believe that Jesus Christ died for me. The recognition of my sin, the recognition of my hurt, the recognition of how many times I've screwed up in life just paints a greater picture of the love of Jesus. And for that, I am grateful. That's a good way to live. And too many of us are doing a handstand and we have an upside down view of who Jesus is. And we actually think we've done enough. You haven't done enough. You can't do enough. And the great news is, is God still adores you. Like I want to, I don't, I'm from the south. I want a yeehaw or something right now. That's not a yeehaw. Thank you. One of you knows the grace of God, and, and many more as well. And so that's something that we have to evaluate. Security, I want to I I read this again. It's right there. Make sure you have this down. 
Security of eternal life doesn't come from your possession. It comes from a heart surrendered to Christ. And this is where we, even if you've been in church your entire life, I want us to evaluate what is it that God, what is it that Jesus is wanting you to surrender right now. Surrender is important, not so that you have less. Surrender is important because it lets you know upon whom you rely. Did you hear that? And so when you look at this passage, one of the things that you even learn when this man, he comes up, this rich young ruler, and he's like, hey, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one that is good if you would enter life. Keep the commandments. The guy's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Which ones? He's probably pulling out a pad of paper right then, some papyrus. He's like, I, I got to write them down, right? That's what, we that's what I would have done. I'm like, okay, I got to get this. You see, he, he needed to understand what it means to have a heart that's surrendered. Jot this down if you would. A heart surrendered means you have a biblical, this is key, a biblical perspective on a few things. I'm just going to hit these really fast. And it's what we learn from this young man. A heart surrendered means you have a biblical perspective on self. This guy's asking, what must I do? He thinks, when you think you can earn salvation, right? You, you, you have an unhealthy view of self. It's not a biblical view of self. Anything that's not biblical, I'm going to argue, is unhealthy. And so when he's going, what must I do? Well, surrender your heart. Surrender your heart. He, he needed to recognize that a heart surrendered means you have a biblical perspective on self and who you are and who you're not and what you can, what you can do and what that means. Also, a heart surrendered means you have a biblical perspective on Christ. The question that he's asking shows that he didn't really see Christ for who he was. He didn't really get that. He was upside down. A heart surrender means you have a biblical perspective also on sin, which is external, right? We recognize that if you have a heart surrender to Christ, you're going to have a biblical perspective on self, on Christ, on sin. But then lastly, on possession. You're going to have a biblical perspective about possession. Um, I've said this often. One of the things that I've learned living so many different places, um, I've literally lived in one of the poorest zip codes in America, and I've lived in the wealthiest zip code in America. And then I've lived in middle-class USA. One of the things I've learned is there's far more judgment toward the rich than there is toward the poor. Far more. It's one of the things I've just experienced personally in life. And when we recognize that a heart surrendered means that you have a biblical perspective on possession, what you want to do in any possession that you have is you want to ask yourself, is it being used to push and to advance the name of Jesus? It doesn't matter what it is. 
So anything that you have, if you can't come up with some way that you can use that to further Jesus, to me, there's a struggle there. It's a question that we need to ask. It's, it's something that we need to be able to examine in our own life. Because the real issue here, I think, when it comes to possession for this young man, the real issue is idolatry. Now, I've preached a lot on idolatry, but this is the real issue. Idolatry is anything that has greater priority than God. I wanted to simplify this. We could go into many more definitions of idolatry, but in a very simplistic manner, idolatry is anything that has greater priority than God in your life. That's idolatry. And then you have to evaluate, do I have anything in my life that has greater priority than God? And this man had something in his life, in his possession, in his wealth, that had greater priority than God. So when God asked him to give that up, he said, no way. Can't do it. I'm out. He's even going away. This tells you the struggle. I think there was an inner struggle. Some people beat up on the rich young ruler. I don't. I think he had this inner struggle that was going on. Otherwise, he would have said, nope, not for me, and he would have been good. It says that he went away sad, that he went away sorrowful. But it was this inner tension that he had. Because when you look at his life, we know, we see that something was sitting on his heart other than Jesus. Is something sitting on the seat of your heart other than Jesus? Whether it be possession, whether it be sports, whether it be talent, whether it be time, whatever it is. Common language here at Chapel Point. Is something sitting on the seat of your heart other than Jesus? You see, this guy, he failed to recognize that absolute surrender is a gift, not a burden. Absolute surrender to Jesus is a gift, not a burden. We see that time and time again. Another way of being able to think about this is being reminded that Jesus is not an accessory to be added, but a king to be served. So often, do you ever treat Jesus like that? Like you put him on based on the day. <laughs> like you wake up. Right, and you go, okay, maybe uh, I, I'm going to go, a lot of times like, I have no jewelry on except for a wedding band at all. So I'm going to use this for ladies just to make a point, okay, because I think everybody can identify. You wear certain types of jewelry based on what you're doing that day, right? I don't see, I don't see altar when somebody, a young lady's throwing on a bathing suit and a tank top because they're going to the beach and then they throw on a set of pearls, uh, anybody see that very I don't see that very often. Unless it's a four-year-old and automatically you know the pearls are fake and they just, they had a tantrum and they're going to wear pearls and that's going to be cool. <laughs> I've never been there. I'm just saying. Or you're waking up and you have a job interview, right? And you just had your first job experience the last five years and all of a sudden you're 28 years old and your dream job is in front of you and you're scratching your head going, could I get my dream job at 28 and not 43? Could this happen? Blah, blah. And so all of a sudden you spend an hour and a half getting ready and you change clothes at least six times and the jewelry and everything else, all the accessories and you want to make sure everything is just right. Anybody been there? Men, don't raise your hand because I'm talking about women. Anybody been there? You know what I'm talking about. We, guys do it the same way. I just think this is more visual for you to better understand. And so even as you're driving down the street, right, you're rehearsing and you're, you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to say if they ask this question. But you wake up and you change your accessories based on what you're doing that day. Jesus is not an accessory for you to add based on your 
foreknown or conclusion if you need God that day. Jesus is something that you have surrendered to, someone that you have surrendered to every single day, and it is a blessing. He is not an accessory to be added. He is a God. He is a king. He is a Lord to be surrendered to every single moment. We've got to understand this. And then have the maturity, the maturity to ask ourselves, is that what I'm doing? That's why here we so badly love accountability. We love mentoring each other. We, we, love, we say it all the time, and mature leaders invite what? Do you remember? Accountability. Write it down. Mature leaders invite accountability. And we want that accountability so we can sit across from brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, do you see anything in my life that has greater priority right now than Jesus? That wasn't on my list of things to do this week, but it is now. For you, that is. For, maybe we can all do that together. Ask someone who's close to you. Because this guy, I don't think, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like, we don't know, but it doesn't seem like he has anybody pouring into his life like that. One of the things um, my wife and I, as you know, you guys are so gracious in allowing us to take a break for a month, and it was wonderful. Those first, um, the entire time was wonderful. Those first two weeks with just my wife. It's been 15 years since we've had more than a couple days, three days at a time with just us and not the kids and other people, and it was just so, so rich of a time. One of my favorite things, um, people have asked, what's one of your favorite things? I was like, well, um, the coffee, scones, reading the Word of God every day without having to rush to get to a meeting, right? It's just, isn't that beautiful? But one of my favorite things is we're in, in Oxford, um, and we're sitting there, we're taking a, a walk around a park, and I, I said, let's play the thank you game. Um, the thank you game is where you, you get to look at your spouse or friend, and you get to say, hey, is there any way that I could be a better spouse right now? And you get to say whatever you want um, or anything that's bothering you about who I am as a spouse, and my only response can be thank you. It's a great game. Like, I was thinking she was going to say something like, I thought I was doing pretty good. Like, and then she's like, well, if you could just change everything. Um, <laughs> like, wow, that's rude. Um, so here we are, and, and we're getting to do that with each other. And I just said, thank you. You don't think those went to my journal to say, hey, I better pray about these things so that I can grow more in Christ. Maybe you need to go to a friend and you need to say, hey, is there anything in my life you, you see right now that is of greater importance than Jesus? And when they tell you, don't justify it. Well, no, it's just for a season. It's just till my kids graduate high school. I know they're consumed with all of this, but it's just from when they're nine until they're 18. It's just during the most formative years of their life, and I'm teaching them about what should have greatest priority. But it's no big deal. Don't justify it. Right? But they find confidence and teamwork in it. 
They don't know anything about Jesus when they're entering adulthood and entering the job force and, and the workforce, but it's okay. They can learn about that later. Like, I could go on all day. All you do is say thank you. And this man didn't have anybody to do that with. Security of eternal life doesn't come from possession, but from a heart surrendered to Jesus. I want to read part of this last passage for you. It continues on, and I can't ignore this. In Matthew chapter 19, he's speaking of all this. I referred in verse 24, he speaks about the the rich person entering the kingdom. It's easier than a camel going through the eye of a needle. But it tells us in verse 25, it says, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they said, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, you who have surrendered to me, will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Guys, this is all about surrender. We also know here at Chapel Point that transformation is not a one-time event. It's a continual process. We're constantly growing in him as we understand more of who he is. As you see a greater picture of God, it will influence you in the here and now. And so as you're walking that journey, you begin to recognize That surrender is not a one-time event, but surrender is linked to transformation. And so when you surrender your heart to him and you experience transformation, you're continually needing to surrender to Jesus Christ so that you don't have idolatry, possessions, things, whatever it may be in your life that have a greater seat on your heart than Jesus. So here's my question for you. Is there something in your life right now that you need to surrender to Jesus? And I know you're at church, so the vast majority of you are believers. I've baptized hundreds here in this church, so I know you're believers. But is there something in your life that has a greater seat than Jesus Christ right now? you have the courage, the maturity to ask that question? To be honest about it? I'd like to ask you to do two things this week. 
really three. I just added one. Speak to someone and say, hey, do you see something in my life, <laughs> right, that has greater value, greater seat than Jesus? Um, but here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Um, maybe even memorize John 10.10. 10. I've come, right? I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Full life only comes through Jesus, surrendering to him. Please, and I'm not going to preach on memorizing scripture right now, but it's so important. It seeps into not only your heart, but all the little crevices of your life that are void and that are empty, and it fills them up. That's what happens over time. The second thing I'd like you to do is I'm asking for you to surrender something this week that can then be used to further the name of Jesus. It it may be time for you. And you you go, you know what, this can wait, and I want to go and serve someone, and I want to give this time to be able to do that. And you're not going to serve just to serve. You're going to serve in order to be obedient to Jesus, which means you're going to speak about Jesus. Maybe as a family, you surrender something. And you go, hey, together, we're going to go and do this, but instead we want to go and do this. The reason I'm asking you to do it is I'm inviting you to explore how God is wanting to jump into your life in a greater way. Too many of us, the reason we struggle And I'm not doing it again, because it hurt. But we're looking at Jesus from the wrong view. Will you surrender? Some of you, it's attitude. You really believe God owes you something. (laughs) You already know what I'm saying to that. God doesn't owe you anything more than he's already done through the name of Jesus Christ. Nothing more. He's dumped eternal life in our lap. May we have a proper view of who Jesus is. And when you have a proper view of Jesus, Pastor Nathan, you know what leads to? Some crazy worship. It leads to some crazy worship. It leads to some authentic prayer. It leads to someone who can't shut up about the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Isn't it good news that you can't earn salvation and that he just said, I got you? Isn't that good news? So let's surrender to that God today as we stand and worship him. Would you stand? God, I come before you. We stand before you. We thank you. God, allow us to have the courage to surrender to you, to know your will, to know your desire, to recognize there's nothing that we can do in order to inherit eternal life. You've already done it for us. You've taken the dump truck of grace. You've put it and just layered it upon layers and layers of grace and forgiveness and love and mercy in our life, and we give you thanks for that. May we know, may we know, God, if there's anything in our life that's displacing you from where you should be sitting. 
that's displacing you from where you should be seated. seated. Please, God. We surrender, we surrender, we surrender, we surrender. For you are worthy. Amen.